0: Now time for Swedish Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I had a dream after I watched The Seventh Seal that um, Gandalf was played by Max von Sydow.
1: Hey, if you were if you had to recast, like you yeah. couldn't cast Ian McKellen, Max, Max von Sydow is not a bad no, choice. He's great. Although I don't necessarily imagine Gandalf with a Swedish no. accent. <laughs> <laughs> Fool of so a we'll took. We'll have to get rid of that.
0: He's got a good American. Does
1: he have a uh, Swedish accent in The Exorcist? No, he does have like a just kind of a thickness to his voice yeah. that you can tell. It's I think it's not fully American, but yeah, he's pretty good.
0: Yeah, he speaks not bad. bad. But yes, the movie. If you couldn't tell by what we were talking about, the movie of this week is uh, Autumn Sonata by Ing- Ingmar Bergman.
1: So I actually watched a few uh, Ingmar Bergman's films, and I'm just going to very quickly go through them. I watched right, I the. It. uh, TV version of Scenes from a Marriage. Oh yeah. Lot of talking. <laughs> lot of talking. Really good though. Really good. You know they're uh making Okay,
0: quick tangent. Can I just talk about how fucking weird it is that we're suddenly getting all of these HBO adaptations of classic
1: films? We're getting a lot of just kind of class adaptations of classic films and like spin-offs, like the nurse ratchet thing. And but- I think there's some other stuff that...
0: There's, there's a, a Black Narcissist TV series coming out. They're doing Black Narcissist. HBO's got the rights to... They're doing a, a Scenes from a Marriage series next year with Oscar Isaac. Mm-hmm. They, they just got the rights to um, make series based on Rashomon, Yojimbo. Not just Yojimbo, but Yojimbo and also the uh, Fistful of Dollars. Huh.
1: That's just so weird to me what what are they gonna do are they gonna like make it a western know. are they gonna go to japan uh, i mean i'd prefer it to They're be an doing actual two like,
0: different series one based on fistful of dollars and one based on yojimbo
1: i'm here for it but <laughs> i have questions
0: it's just so weird but yes continue
1: uh scenes from marriage pretty good it's long five hours isn't there's a theatrical cut isn't there there's a theatrical cut, also long, three hours. I'll watch that eventually. I'm curious to see what the difference is. Uh, I also watched, there's a follow up film. Ingmar Bergman's last film, Saraban, Band* was uh, a follow up film to Scenes from a Marriage. Uh, really interesting movie. Then I watched Hour of the Wolf last night. It was fine. There's another Ingmar Bergman film. Ingmar Bergman made a lot of movies. Yeah. And I get the sense that a lot of them are just like, huh? That's, you yeah. made something.
0: No yeah because I was surprised when i i because I did research on the berman box and I was surprised just to see how many he did make, especially when only like three or four of them are ones that are like considered classics but yeah interesting interesting guy
1: but yeah so we we've returned to the seventh seal both of us have seen this before I have the seventh seal uh, in case you haven't heard of it, is a 1957 Swedish historical film, historical fantasy film, as described by Wikipedia. It is uh, it, one of the classics of world cinema, of European art house cinema. It is starring uh, Gunnar Bjornstrand, Max von Sydow, Bibi Anderson. These are all r- big recurring names in Bergman's filmography. Bergman likes to work with the same actors again and again. And that's one of the joys of watching the Berg box of seeing all these different actors. Ah, you have it. This I too I, have it. It's just in a big, this, a bigger box. This is
0: one of those movies that every time I go to Zia, this one's on sale. That's where I got this one. And it's like in a really good condition. And I don't understand why people are so willing to part with the seventh seal.
1: Yeah. How could you part with this film? This is an interesting movie from our perspective. Because uh, as young up and coming filmmakers, Chandler Chavez recently finished a (laughs) short film that very explicitly references the seventh seal.
0: Yeah, which I feel like most people do reference the seventh seal. If anything, if this movie is good for anything, it's a very iconic opening scene. Mm -hmm. It's funny because when I was watching this, that's what I was thinking about. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did this.
1: Yeah, I, I, I thought about that, too, about halfway through. I was like, oh, wait, meaning of death or in the company in the com- of death.
0: And the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, why did I do this? I'm not even a huge fan of the Seven Seals. This is weird, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I also didn't think you
1: were the biggest fan.
0: But- no, I'm not. I like it a lot, but I'm just like, it's it's I didn't even think about that until I was watching this. But, you know, as far as depictions of death goes, this is one of the most iconic. I think it's funny that you watch this and Bill and Ted 2 in the same month.
1: Yeah. Death. I'm trying to think of other depictions of death.
0: The, the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy where the Grim Reaper has a Jamaican accent. <laughs> for some Here, reason. Here's
1: another really out there reference that Chandler won't certainly will not get. You, have you ever heard of the author Terry Pratchett? No. Okay, so he wrote a, a fantasy series. The Discworld fantasy series. Which is really great. They are all... It's a parody, mm-hmm. comedy parody fantasy book series, which is just great. Um, they're a lot of fun. But there, there were some low-budget TV adaptations of some of his books, and they're, they're just about as fun, low-budget as you can get. But there is a depiction of death in a, in a few of them that is funny and, and enjoyable. But I can't really think of m- many other physical manifestations of death. Sometimes, like, very briefly, some films will have, like, some kind of specter of death in a Grim Reaper, but never, like, an actual character. So, what do we think of The Seventh Seal? It's good. I like it. Uh, It's,
0: um... (laughs) It's, like, hard to explain how I feel about it, because it's it's a very relaxed, calm movie that is just really well-framed philosophy. It's very much like a... It's a meditative movie
1: that's the best yeah. one, i
0: think to describe it.
1: It is quiet and it's it's hard to kind of pin down your thoughts on it because it's it's kind of it's rough around the edges i'd say. Yeah. I um, mean that's partially reflective of it was shot very quickly on a very low budget and it's a period film so some of the you can see kind of the seams here and there of the filmmaking but it does work so well. And the thing is the first time i watched it i was like this is good. This is a really interesting piece of filmmaking history. I had a positive opinion of it. This this past, the most recent viewing, I really started kind of seeing the the expert craft that is going on in this film and kind of getting into it. Oh, it's
0: very simple. It's kind of hard to like see those accomplishments.
1: The one thing I think he does consistently
0: amazing is the way he captures nature, mm. especially in the beginning. The sounds and just the beaches and the rocks and... And then those beautiful little hills with the little feeder people. and
1: I watched it twice, technically, in the past 48 hours. Oh, yeah, I saw that. The I actually was just finishing it up uh, the second time before we started this call. I was listening to the commentary, which is what I watched it the second time for. The first rewatching I had last night, or the night before. This movie went by so quickly. Like, I really realized how how... Quick, a ninety-minute film it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you had the same reaction to it. I did, but I got this time. about two thirds of the way through, and like, oh shit, I'm I'm almost there. I could, I could spend another good hour in this film, and I only have like twenty minutes left.
0: They're very interesting characters, and it's it's so many different interpretations of death and mortality that it it's very it it covers like a bunch of different outlooks on life. I he's got this obsession. Within a lot of his movies, obviously you would know more than I would, but he's—I like his obsession with the absence of God,
1: Mm -hmm. the silence of God,
0: the silence of God. Yeah, and I think this one is the most explicit he deals with it because Max von Sydow's character is like literally that's all he does,
1: (laughs) his questions, ask questions. It's like every single character in this film is fulfilling a different part of the philosophy or a different. Aspect of of what people believe or don't believe regarding the situation, like that's their their main characterizations, are they're each embodying a different, yeah, outlook on life and on death,
0: and and it's just I like how he ties the death and the fear of death to religion. um There's a quote that I wrote in my letterbox review that I actually thought was very interesting that i didn't pick up on the first time and i think it's max von sidow says it but he says religion is a totem carved out of fear of nothingness
1: yeah this is something i've also thought quite a bit about that if if we as a human species did not have a fear of death i don't think religion would play yeah anywhere near as important of a role as it does yeah because that's a powerful powerful motivator for a lot of people
0: but and it's especially the, the characters that we see at the end who are in the castle and the looks on their faces and that one of those final shots, which I think is just amazing, is mm-hmm. where you can see all y- you can see people's different interpretations of death all in that one scene where Max von Sydow is sort of like in awe at the in- inevitability of it. But I always get struck by the the young woman that Max von Sydow's partner just steals.
1: <laughs> mm hmm because her mm-hmm. whole and she's mute for the entire film
0: yeah because she's the only one who's like welcoming death she's like excited because she's her whole mentality is well at least it's over
1: that's <laughs> certainly I'm... i mean it's taking place during the plague and yeah exactly the best of times no which is interesting like as a historical film this <laughs> is just kind of filled with weird anachronisms because the yeah. cru- you got the crusades you got the plague you got witch burning all of which didn't really take place at the same time yeah. in Sweden, but he's kind of put them all together to give you this just general sense of doom and gloom.
0: And I want to say that this is in no way the movie's fault, but it is Monty Python's fault, when a lot of these anachronisms are just funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, like when those people come through and they're just whipping eat themselves and you have the people with the cross and the, and I'm just like, this this is a few lines away from feeling like a Monty
1: Python bit. I think I'd have to go back and check, but the the trailer for Monty Python and the Holy Grail uh, makes reference to the seventh seal, I think. Yeah. And uh, clearly the movie makes obvious references. It's not just Monty Python.
0: It's also a little bit of Life of Brian because they're asking the same questions. It's just <laughs> Life of Brian's being a bit funnier about it.
1: I, I do want to make note that a lot of people, I think, seventh seal has this kind of a eh, feeling this mysticism around it that it's this cold dark somber work of european art house cinema about it's death
0: it's like the quintessential art house movie
1: but it's not really all that somber no when you really get into it like it's an, i think it's pretty approachable as a film yeah and a good deal of it is light jovial scenes And I think probably the most explicit example of this is in the center of the film. They have a picnic with all the characters are together. They're on a a hill, grassy hillside overlooking the sea. They're having milk and strawberries and the Joff, the the player, the actor is playing a little tune in the background. It's just so nice, peaceful and idyllic. And it is, there's nothing stuffy or death obsessed about a lot of the scenes in this film. Yeah which I think is important to really it's round also it out
0: kind of funny yeah especially especially the scene when the blacksmith comes in and, and just confronts the actor and he stabs himself
1: <laughs> there's there is a romantic comedy in the middle of this film <laughs> yeah. very subtly they pick it up here and there and then it culminates with this great scene
0: yeah i don't know maybe it's just be- if you were to isolate the movie to just the max one sit out confronting death scenes i could see why people would think it's this gloomy art house thing but those are just well, a lot of a people sm-
1: think it's that because it's a co- iconic
0: yeah but that's just such a small fraction of the movie that all ties in but there's just it's it's almost an ensemble
1: movie it is i mean yeah. max, max von Sydow, he disappears for sections of the film almost particularly in that that scene when the the blacksmith confronts the, the actor about the the affair and all that. Like there's this whole kind of middle section where he's just Mm -hmm. in the background.
0: Yeah. Everyone breaks off. We spent, we just jump in the middle of this theater groups life. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, it's all over the place, but it's still, it's 90 minutes. It's really briskly paced for a movie. That's this slow, never dwells too long.
1: Very meta almost with a lot of its narrative stuff going on with the, the actors. They make reference of being Acting. actors and yeah. stuff. And there's a few moments in the film. There's a few direct addresses to the camera. There's some interesting meta stuff going on there where the film is actively referencing that it's a film. And the, it's almost theatrical because Ingmar Bergman, if, if you don't know, is was perhaps more so a theater director than he was yeah. a filmmaker. And despite the fact that he made so many movies, he directed more theater. Interesting. So that, that shows quite quite a bit in a lot of his films. Theater is yeah. a reoccurring motif in, in a lot of them. And I'm, you've seen Fanny and Alexander, so that's probably his most explicit yeah, theatrical. Well,
0: thing. like so much of this script, like specifically, um, is like uh, it's a lot of utilizing. It's, it's, it shows how we use art to deal with things like death how we cope with mm. them how we sort of translate them to something a little more understandable it's not just just in the acting but in the music and th- that section where you have that innkeeper who's just painting <laughs> which is another thing i always find kind of funny um so it you know it's it's just him exploring all of these different ways that we interpret our own death Through religion, through stories, through crusades, through art. And it's never pointed at one. It never says one is the correct response to it. I I would even say that, if anything, his correct response to it is um, the theater people's response to it, which is to just ignore it. Just live your life. Yeah, just... They take their moments. They're being actors because that's what they want to do. They don't think about the future. They take little siestas in the countryside with milk and strawberries and play the flute. That's what you got to do. Don't go to war. Play the lute. Have some fun. Yeah. They live forever. There's a lot of baby ass in this movie.
1: It's a cute baby. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) It is. Yeah. Yeah. An uplifting film overall.
0: Yeah. It depends on how you look at it. I mean, there's, there's the literal woman who's so fed up with life. She's crying at the sight of death. But then you also have the cute...
1: You know, you have at the very end, the, the family survives. Life goes on. The, the child, the baby, and all that. And then you have the dance of death, which is almost like a celebration mm-hmm. of passing on to, to the next world and all that. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of darkness. The witch burning sequence.
0: Oh, yeah. It
1: got a lot more emotionally powerful for me on the, this rewatch for some reason. That Just woman's the kind eyes. of' the The film is about the injustice of death and kind of the blind injustice of that. Mm-hmm. But it also deals with kind of the injustices of real life that humans impose on other humans and kind of the, the pure insanity of, of doing that. Yeah. Of how we mistreat each other. And yet there's this, this actual specter of death kind of hanging over us. Yeah. And in particular, it's like the witchcraft sequence of like, if there's anything like you're just you're sending someone to their death for this most nonsensical reason and how <laughs> scared people are be- are because of that. And,
0: you know, context is especially important because this whole religious fear is only heightened by the Crusades and the plague.
1: And, you know, it's, you know, dealing with the apocalypse and all that. And it was released in the 50s. Where you could, when it was released, you could probably make parallels between the Middle Ages and the Cold War and the, the potential of nuclear annihilation mm-hmm. and that kind of existential dread that was hanging over the world for that time period. And then, you know, we're always going to have stuff like that. If you're, if you're watching it today, you could be thinking of COVID instead of the <laughs> Black Death. It's still applicable, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. Very much a classic movie. It's hard to really talk about it because it's
0: it's not like super dense and complicated it's just very simple but very effective very influential obviously i'm always surprised i always thought Max von i was a lot older i know he's dead now but i think that was partially to do with how good the old age makeup in the exorcist is Mm -hmm. it really predicted what he'd look like
1: so here's the question does this deserve to be on the Sight and sound, BFI greatest films of all time. Uh,
0: I'm gonna say yeah, cause it probably is my favorite Bergman, and is I'm not like super crazy about it, but it's kind of hard to deny the influence and the effectiveness of it all. I think it's important to have movies like this. The most unenthusiastic yes, but like it's, it, it come on, you can't, you can't. Well, I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna enthusiastically say yes. I think the the technical and the narrative elements are there it's a really well-made movie and in terms of cinema history it has it has some backing up there too as in kind of like one of those films that popularized european art house cinema yeah. for an american audience and kind of exploded in that sense and is still quite quite relevant still being referenced today
0: it's it's yeah it's like it, it's it's about as timeless as like a a biblical story is
1: it's essentially what it is. is just a big biblical story. Very, very much recommend it. The Seventh Seal.
0: You heard it here. Jacob says it's his favorite Ingmar Bergman movie.
1: Maybe my second favorite. <laughs> I don't know. So next week, I, we we mentioned Chinatown and Inherent Vice. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. That's something we're still, still into.
0: I'm down. What are the other options? Like, uh, I don't know what... Uh, we're, we're floating around here because, as far as new movies go, I know one that we should—that uh, I think we should see. What do we? What? What should we see? The um, There's a movie coming to Netflix. Maybe it's already out. Uh, have you heard of this? Dick Johnson is dead. No. So Dick Johnson is dead is a documentary made by Kirsten Johnson. Who uh, did you ever see Camera Person?
1: I've heard of it, but no, I haven't seen. Oh
0: it. well, she's a documentary filmmaker. She made Camera Person, which. Was a huge as far as like O oh, tour movies go. Um, but Dick Johnson is Dead is a movie. There's the poster. <laughs> uh, it's here, I'll just read the synopsis with this inventive portrait. Director Kirsten Johnson seeks a way to keep her 86 year old father alive forever, utilizing movie making magic in her family's dark humor. She celebrates Dr. Dick Johnson's last years by staging fantasies of death and beyond. Together, dad and daughter confront us through the great inevitability awaiting us all. So what it essentially is, is that um, this filmmaker's dad is slowly dying because he's getting Alzheimer's. So she's making a documentary to sort of preserve his life as she sees it through Um, like fantasy with reality. Creating a portrait of a person before that person forgets what person he is. Which seems interesting. Because, I mean, yeah, we're, that, that we does. are scraping the bottom of the barrel as far as new releases go. And I'm not saying this is bottom of the barrel. But this looks interesting. So if we can somehow find a way to incorporate this into our next few movies somewhere. But I very much am. We need to do Inherent Vice and Chinatown.
1: So are we doing that this week? Or Yeah, let's do it. Why not? So we'll do that.